I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Rodolfo Dieck. Rodolfo is managing partner at Prozza Ventures, a venture capital firm investing in early stage startups reshaping the mobility space. Rodolfo guides the overall strategic direction of the firm, as well as oversees all financial activities, performance, and investor relations activities. So we're talking about Prozza Venture, we're talking about venture capital, a few key themes for this uh, conversation. So we talked about the key, the key trends that Rodolfo, Rodolfo is uh, thinking about, watching, heading into the rest of 2023 here, where he thinks there might be value and where he's most bullish how he thinks about guiding the firm, how they think about where they want to play, and specifically where they they do not want to play and how they can set constraints in place to define who they want to be as a venture capital capital firm. We even got to talk about one of my favorite topics I don't get to explore too often on this podcast, philosophy, and specifically Stoic philosophy and a shared um, author that we both happen to greatly enjoy, uh, Ryan Halliday. So really fun discussion for me. I'll leave it here for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Rodolfo Dieck. Today I'm joined by Rodolfo Dieck. Rodolfo, thanks for coming on. Hi, Brendan. Uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here with you today. Yes, it should, should be a fun discussion here. I think the, uh, the what you guys are doing at uh, Perez Adventures is interesting. Also, the, the background of the, the Grupo Perez in the in the background is, is an interesting perspective. Um, excited to dive into a few topics here so would you mind setting the stage and introducing yourself your role at pros adventures and what, what you guys are trying to do sure i'm really happy to do so um so we let me start with uh grupo proesa grupo proesa is a family-owned business uh, based out of monterey mexico with uh, global operations uh, the group has three main platforms uh, the largest one by far is in the automotive space. Uh, the group owns Metalsa, which mm-hmm. is a tier one that sells structural components. Uh, basically, the frames and chassis that go into the pickup trucks, like the F-150, the Tundra, the Tacoma, the Ram Charger, and, and a few others. Uh, and they're the market leader in that space. 
Uh, the other uh, business unit that the, the group has is in the agroindustrial space. Uh, the group is the largest uh, grower and processor of oranges in Mexico. Uh, they sell uh, juice from that. Um, and then the last and most recent uh, business unit is in the healthcare space. Uh, the group acquired a business out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, that provides uh, nursing staffing services to hospitals across the United States. Um, back in 20, I would say 2017, as we were seeing the, the shift in, in mobility uh, with the electric vehicles, autonomous, connected, uh, the group wanted to be closer to the innovation ecosystem and uh, be at the forefront of uh, what, what was going on in the mobility space. And they decided to invest in a fund uh, exclusively investing in the mobility space. At that time, uh, they decided to invest in Autotech Ventures, another fund based out of the Bay Area. Uh, so the group is an LP in their first fund. Uh, but after a year or so uh, of working closely with the Autotech team, uh, they they noticed that they wanted to be even closer. Uh, they wanted to to be doing more to to really get their hands dirty, uh, to put it some way and, and get into the mobility ecosystem. And that's when they decided to uh, to back us and uh, launch Proes Ventures. Um, before I joined Proes Ventures, I was uh, at, at another VC firm uh, based out of Mexico City. Uh, at the time, the largest impact investing fund uh, in the region, investing uh, in healthcare and education. Um, so it was a, a big shift for me to get into the mobility space. It's been almost four years now, uh, but it's been like dog years. You know, we we have breakfast, we have mobility for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, so it's it's been a very intense uh, uh, last four years where we've talked to more than fifteen hundred companies uh, to date. Uh, but but I digress. So. We started the, the effort in uh, in 2019, investing uh, exclusively in the multi space in ground transportation. So nothing that that flies or floats. So with a very narrow thesis in mobility, but with a global uh, scale. So we're investing across Americas, from Alaska to Patagonia, excluding uh, Brazil, and Western Europe and, and Israel. Um, we usually uh, invest in early stage. Uh, I would say uh, seed, late seed to Series A. Um, and we like to be close to the companies that we invest in. We usually ask for a board seat or an observer seat uh, to help them guide the strategy and, and make interest to, to the founders and work closely with them as, as they are scaling their companies at these early stages. Um, we, uh, we usually invest around a million and a half in, in these companies at these stages. We can go down to 500K, up to 2 million, uh, but our spot is usually 1.5. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, foundation to kind of set the set the stage for the discussion. So maybe the next follow up question here is what what does success look like, or what what is what's the what's the objective, right? So there's wide range, there's a lot, lot of different types of uh, venture funds out there, and wide range from financial return to strategy, from short term look to long term look to getting into new market, all, all these types of things. But for for you guys in particular, what how are you defining success and tracking what um, your performance? Yeah, uh, no, no, that's a, a great question because we get that uh, we get asked that a lot. Being a single LP fund, uh, we're in kind of a gray area between a CBC and a traditional BC fund. Mm -hmm. So most CBCs are formed to help on the, like on the innovation side of things uh, for the corporate or for the mothership, uh, and that's the case with present interest as well. But we are structured as a traditional VC fund in that the main objective for us is financial returns. And that's how the team is compensated. We have the traditional uh, 
uh, carry structure that, that any other phone has. So the RLP told us your number one goal is financial returns, market financial returns, uh, like any other, like you would invest in any other uh, fund. As a second objective is to create this knowledge base and, and transfer of knowledge to the mothership so that they can be up to speed to what's going on and the new trends uh, within mobility. Um, but having said that, our investment thesis is independent and goes beyond the core. Actually, they told us, get out of this building. We don't want you to be biased with our bureaucracy and our way of thinking and our way of doing things, um, which was surprising at the time. Like uh, some of my other colleagues in the, in the VC world were like, well, you have the best of both worlds. Like you have a, a single LP, which is easier to manage the relationship and you have like an independent mandate and an independent investment committee. So we don't use like the strategic filter or a strategic lens to look at new investments uh, mm -hmm. because they told you invest in whatever you think it's going to be or pan out in the next five to 10 years. And that's, that's worked really well. Um, having said that, a few of the companies that we have invested in have worked closely with the group or with, with Metalsa, the, the tier one. Um, and that's been a, a double plus. Uh, that's something that has been well received by, by the shareholders and by the group and the different uh, governance bodies. Uh, but like I said, it's been more, probably like three out of our 20 investments have, have had the chance to work closely with, with our LP in a more commercial way, I'd say. Yeah, and so that that's, at least from the outside looking in, seems like one of the obvious differentiators, right? And back to the point, yeah, there's not not that money is necessarily freely flowing right now by by any means but there's a lot of a lot of places that um, startups can look for for money a lot of people in the, in the space so it's always a question of okay what's the what's the unique angle and value you're providing in addition to the dollars right and so the obvious thing from the outside looking in yeah Metalsa, the the expertise as well as the actual ability to execute on things that seems like an obvious part of the picture what else what else goes into your pitch of hey well here's here's how we're unique here's how the the value that we're bringing to the founders that we're working with yeah uh i think that that's a great question i mean the, the metal angle it's, it's a an important one especially if we're investing in uh, hardware companies or the need manufacturing uh, uh partners or uh, capabilities so that's something that we it has helped us as we invest in hardware startups also, another point is that by focusing exclusively in the mobility space, we have developed a very strong network uh, in this specific industry, and that's been of value across our portfolio companies. We've been able to make intros to the same companies, uh, to the different portfolio companies. So it's a very strong network that, that we have and uh, that our founders can tap into uh, at any time that they want. Um, and also just being... Uh, a global investor, we've been able to see like which business models work well in Europe versus the US versus LATAM. And we've been helping some companies think about uh, if they want to expand into LATAM, how they can better do that, or if the business model makes sense or what kind of tropicalization it would need. Um, it's not something that we actively pursue. I mean, if it's not in the plans of the company to expand into LATAM, we're not pushing for that. But if it's something that they're thinking about, we're mm -hmm. very uh, helpful in that way and helping them uh, put them together with partners, even if it's like for structuring the company, for recruiting talent, or for getting the right partnerships to get uh, the operations started uh, off the ground. Is there anything that stands out? So speaking as someone like like myself, right, who doesn't has, have experience doing business in my time, what, is, is there any obvious stuff that um, I, I, or anything that I might not realize or that companies tend to not realize about what goes into successfully 
running and operating a business and, and doing business in Latin? Um, I don't know if it's something unique, but maybe something that we overlook, like as humans, we think that the rest of the world is just like uh, the way we experience it. Mm-hmm. And Latam has its, uh, its unique challenges. Um, like, for instance, just as an example, only 30% of the vehicles in Latam, more or less, are insured versus like 90, what, 95% in the US mm-hmm. or so. So that, that's, a, that's a big change, a big challenge. Like, th- there's uh, low formality, right? Um, and uh, the, the way people move around, it's it's different as well. Uh, a lot of people use uh, subway or uh, uh, public transportation. So when people are thinking about uh, bringing new vehicles, they really need to think hard about the, the cost and the price of those vehicles you're going to have and how affordable it is for, for the local economy. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is uh, just, I would say, safety. And, and I hate to bring this point out because... Uh, a couple of years ago, me more bird online, you know, came to Mexico City uh, with their scooter program, and within the first, I think it's the first three months, they lost 60% of the fleet to theft and vandalism. Uh, so they they thought it was going to be the same as in the U.S. and unfortunately they found out that uh, there was another problem or challenge as they grew into a different market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's. Yeah, it's very unique challenges that you experience the payment methods as well. Um, there's a host of challenges that they really need to think about and have someone local to help them think through those issues or just have the experience, first-hand experience and, and move uh, to a given city or country uh, to identify what the key challenges could be. How about how do you think about decarbonization? So like the someone with a purely US or even US and European focused lens could come to the conclusion some people advocate for it. It's just pure private use battery electric vehicles is the solution for everyone everywhere. We need to get those out. My understanding, and, and I appreciate you to clarify and expand on this, is you know that's just not a reality for a lot of places in, in Latin right now from a infrastructure perspective, from a, um, as you mentioned, cost perspective, as well as the cleanliness of the electricity that's going around, right? It's, it's, it's not that you have a bunch of renewable power being used in some areas. Can you talk to this point of how, how different does effective decarbonization look like in Latin compared to what, say, the U.S.? Yeah. Um, so I think the intent or the objective is the same. Uh, you, you hear it more and more from the authorities and from regulators that that's something that needs to happen. Uh, but at the same time, we are lagging behind the U.S. and, and Europe, especially in terms of infrastructure and affordability of uh, the vehicles that are being deployed to market. Uh, you have the case in, in China where their strategy was to go mass market from the outset. They started selling EVs. I think there's a few now that cost $5,000 or something like that. I don't know if I would drive one of those uh, scared of those batteries. Yeah. Uh, but they, they took that approach of going directly mass market. Versus in the US, you have Tesla that went to the premium market and they, they were looking for the first adopters and then trying to go down market and mm-hmm. bring more models uh, to, to the market, which is going to happen probably in the next three to four years. We're seeing more models come out. In Latin, uh, it, it's funny because being from, from Mexico, we usually have a negative lens from, for our own country. And when I speak to international investors, they're very bullish as to what La, the, the potential that Latin has to decarbonize uh, the economy. Um, and for us, it's like we don't we don't see it moving as fast as we want to, 
and we know how regulators and governments work in our countries and sometimes they put roadblocks instead of helping uh, the industry uh, flourish. Um, but having said that, we've seen some good examples in Brazil, Colombia, Chile, uh, where the governments uh, and legal regulators are supporting the use of EVs for uh, mass transit, uh, for buses, for two and three wheelers. Um, and we, I recently came across a company um, called Leoparda, uh, a former Tesla alumni. They're trying to replicate the Gogoro of Southeast Asia in Brazil, like providing uh, shopping battery stations for two wheelers, two and three wheelers. Hmm. And, and that's for, for us, that's a big market. A lot of people in, in South America move by motorcycles, uh, which are still uh, mostly internal combustion engine driven. But you see a different approach in, in India and Southeast Asia, where most of the vehicles are already, like I think, 60% or so have been electrified. And so there's a, a big potential on, on that side. And I was just reading an article the other day that said that there is 10 times as many uh, electric scooters, mopeds, and motorcycles as there are EVs on the road right now. Oh. Uh, so one of our uh, theses within... Uh, within our fund is to invest in micromobility. And we're very excited about that. Uh, just given this, that they're more efficient, um, they're, uh, they help with congestion, with emissions, and it's you don't need like a 500 kilogram vehicle to move one person around. There's different um, modes of transportation and use cases where you could deploy different form factors. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's, that'd be an interesting place to expand a little, a little bit further. So micromobility, yeah, on the, on the service, and this this goes with one of my kind of core premises or the thoughts of kind of safe, sustainable transportation. It seems like this, I mean, from a simple physics perspective, like you mentioned, right, moving around additional mass is not a great idea, taking up additional space, moving at higher speeds than you need to, being, you know, requiring additional infrastructure more than is required if, if we could... You know, in certain places where they have, uh, for example, one of my recent guests from the, um, the Amsterdam, the Netherlands, talking about the the biking culture there and how how efficient and effective that can be as a way of getting around. Um, at the same time, there, there's challenges to in deploying micro mobility. You mentioned kind of bird and lime, and I think we had uh, a lot of people thought, yeah, this is such an easy solution. Let's just throw a bunch of scooters on the streets, and we found that that's yeah. not as as easy as it might seem. So. Thinking about micromobility today or in early 2023, what what are some of the key, what, what are some of the things that you're most excited about the areas where you see the biggest opportunity to actually go in and, and make an impact in this space? Yeah, I think there, within micromobility, there are quite a few opportunities. And the last year, 2022, was a terrible year for the whole uh, mobility ecosystem. And, and shared micromobility was one of them. Uh, you see um, the darling of the space, bird, trading at a few cents of a dollar uh, these days. It, it's, it's just hard to watch after all the, the money and the effort that went into that. Uh, but a, a recent article by McKinsey still estimates like this market, the shared micromobility market, is a, it's about to hit 90 billion by 2030, up from 1 billion in 2019. So we see that big opportunity in shared micromobility. Uh, I think the big players are going to, focus on certain cities where they can run a profitable business model. And then there's going to be smaller players in like, I would say, tier two and tier three cities uh, where a smaller operation makes sense and they have the, the relationship with the regulators directly and they're able to, to comply with everything that they've, they've been asked for these days. Other than shared micromobility, we're also excited about 
private miracle mobility. Uh, we've seen a, a boom on, you obviously saw that, of e-bikes uh, getting bought by uh, uh, private people like you and me. Uh, there's been rebates offered in, in Denver, now I think Washington and a, a few, another city, I don't know if it was Atlanta, were trying to to provide the same kind of benefits for, for people to buy uh, micro mobility. And there's more investment into infrastructure going on to mm -hmm. incentivize the people to use these new modes of transportation. Uh, so one of the companies that we invested in, uh, Right Panda, also based out of the Bay Area, they're providing uh, subscription services for uh, employers to offer to their um, uh, to their employees as, as a benefit, as an additional benefit. So they can lease an e-bike or a scooter or a moped to get to work, and that's subsidized by, by the employer. And it's a way of attracting and retaining talent. People that are more environmentally conscious and want to experience a different way of moving around the city and going to work benefit from, from these kind of uh, services. And we've seen that flourish also in, in Europe. There's a lot of companies that are catering to uh, last mile delivery workers, gig workers and employers to offer these new kind of novel solutions to, to move around. So we're very excited about that. And another piece within the micromobility is e-cargo bikes. So uh, especially in Europe, we see, and, and you, we've seen Amazon and a few other uh, companies in the US, especially in New York, trying out new form factors to deliver parcel uh, to our homes and to make it more efficient and, and emission-free in, in dense uh, populated areas. So we're mm -hmm. very bullish on, on e-cargo bikes as a new mode of transportation to make the last mile delivery in, in parcel delivery and maybe also in grocery delivery or, uh, you know, food delivery and a few other verticals within the, the last mile. And I'm going to ask an, an overly simplistic question here, but I, I'd appreciate your thoughts. So, so when you're evaluating, say someone like Ride Panda, pick, pick whatever example, like how do you actually make the evaluation of whether you see legitimate growth opportunity and market penetration for a company? And I, and I know, like I said, that's a very simple question, but you have this premise of Micromobility is a trend that's taking off, right? There's opportunities. There's got to be a bunch of companies that you talk to. You said you've talked to 1,500 companies or whatever, right? That um, there's nearly countless companies that you could go and deploy money towards to try to uh, to make an impact. How do you go about that decision making process? Of here are the bets that we're going to make. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's a it's an ever evolving process. So that's. I think that the main goal for us every year is to improve our decision-making process and, and trying to not look at the how the portfolio is looking at year-end because that will be very short-sighted. So I think the results are going to take care of themselves at the end of the day, and we are focusing right now on, on trying to have the best infrastructure or the best processes or systems to be making those decisions and those bets. Um, in terms of, of the micromobility space, Actually, Right Panda started as a different with a different value proposition. They were uh, an e-commerce site where you could uh, tell them your age, your height, your weight, uh, the city you lived in, and the use case you were thinking about for for the micro mobility vehicle. And they would tell you, okay, this is the right uh, vehicle for you, given hmm. all your information. Uh, so they were like a yeah a marketplace aggregating a lot of different brands and just recommending uh, the right vehicle for you. And they shifted to this new model of uh, providing uh, benefits to, to employers. But we, for, for that case in particular, I think the, just the experience that the team brought to the table was very important for us and the traction that they had. So uh, they've been very uh, metrics uh, driven. 
And that's why they decided to pivot. They, they were trying out this new business model. They saw early traction and we decided to reinvest uh, again uh, at the end of last year. So they just raised another round to, to further uh, accelerate the growth that they're experiencing in this new business model offering uh, subscription services to, to employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, for Ono, we invested in Ono Motion, an e-cargo bike company based out of Germany. We scoured the market for e-cargo bikes when we were looking uh, more specifically for a B2B play versus a B2C, because for us, it was like hard to differentiate, uh, like, or we didn't, we didn't want to bet in, in marketing dollars. Like, we, we didn't want to get into that race, but like, whoever mm-hmm. did the best marketing was going to win. So we focused more on a B2B play. And just looking at the space, we saw that most companies that failed couldn't get to 100 bikes uh, on the streets. And Ono had already surpassed that. They had a great product. They basically developed the Ferrari for uh, e-cargo bikes. And now they're working their way down to offer a more simplistic model or a more affordable model, if you want to see it that way. Uh, and we really liked the, the way they were approaching this and, and the kind of customers they were onboarding. Um, right now, only in Germany, we're looking to expand outside of Germany. So just to give you a couple of, of examples, uh, it's we kind of try to... Um, yeah, like get all the information that we can as, as we are looking to the different spaces within mobility. Mm-hmm. And obviously the team plays a big factor and the early traction that the companies have, which is sometimes hard to evaluate because we're coming in at, at the seed stage. Uh, but you can get a, a sense just comparing, contrasting different companies in the same space, which ones are a little bit further ahead and the way they're thinking about solving that specific problem. Yeah, it seems like there is there has to be an art to this right and the yeah you come in and you, you make an assessment but like you, you mentioned uh ride panda pivoting i mean that's that's more more often than not there's a value proposition that either isn't perfect or it needs a tweak or maybe sometimes it moves completely so like i don't know it seems like there's a, a pretty big piece of this of you need to trust that the team has the experience and the capability and the drive to successfully navigate these this environment and come out on the other side with something that actually makes sense yeah yeah totally how about so outside of micro mobility what are what are the other key so again early 2023 here looking into into this year like what, what are some of the key areas where you uh what, what's kind of the investing premise or some of the key areas where you see opportunities and things that you're excited about yeah, um, so we usually have a, an annual offsite every year just to like try to find, figure out which are the trends that we're going to be looking out for uh, during the year. Although we remain very open, everything that is mobility related, we take a meeting just to, to keep on learning. Our, our main source of research are, are the founders themselves. Hmm. Uh, for this year, our uh, offsite is actually next week, but I already have my thoughts uh, written down. And it's, it's uh, probably not surprising. Everything related to the EV space. We're very excited about the, the EV revolution um, and the transition that, that's happening. I think last year we just crossed the 10% of new vehicle sales being uh, electric vehicles. And so we're very excited about that. Um, not only in the vehicles themselves, probably we won't, we won't be investing in, in any new EV uh, like hardware, but also around the software side and, and all the technology that it's gonna uh, is gonna come out to help the ecosystem flourish. So, for instance, we invested uh, last quarter uh, in Q4 of 2022 in a company based out of the Netherlands called Best Power uh, that they're providing um, a, an app 
to to help with the how do you call it, plug and charge and to facilitate fleets to do a smart charge to charge mm -hmm. when it's uh, easier to have the right billing that's a big problem for fleets to to get the right billing uh, when they're charging their fleets across Europe uh, so we're very excited about that and potentially expanding into vehicle to grid which we're seeing is uh, a lot of pilots in Europe, some of them also in the US these days. Uh, so we, we see that trend happening every time faster. And because you have these electric vehicles out there sitting idle, but they can providing, could be providing uh, energy back to the grid, or at least do a smart charging with, where you have solar available or where when the energy is cheaper. So everything around that, it's very exciting for us this year. Also around uh, charging infrastructure, or the software that needs or it's required for the vehicle to communicate with the charging station and then back to the grid. Um, also, we've been exploring uh, companies that are catering to fleets to help them uh, think about how to transition their fleets, their ICE fleets into EV fleets, and then which kind of uh, charges they need at their depots, um, and then how to think about maintenance issues and the scheduling. Uh, and getting a, a right sense to a smart charging, how, how to smart charge their, their fleet. So everything related in that ecosystem is something that we, we're very excited about uh, this year. And how do you think about, so, I mean, EV space, um, like, uh, right, there's a ton going on here. It's a big macro trend. It's a ton of momentum that it seems like uh, isn't going to be stopping anytime soon. But the the goal, of, or, and this is where I'd appreciate your input and corrections here, but as, as I understand it, the, the goal of an effective investment isn't necessarily to just pick a technology that's going to take off and, and that's going to grow, but you need to find value within that ecosystem, right? So you need to find the pieces within this ecosystem that are undervalued by wh whoever others who are investing in this space so that you can find a place to bet, uh, to yeah, make an investment that's going to grow, right? So someone betting on Tesla, like, yeah, it's it's not, it's irrelevant whether Tesla is going to grow. It's just the question a year ago was, is is this super inflated price legitimate for, for, for the company or, or yeah. not? So like, how, how do you think for yourself or your fund, how do you think about trying to identify the spots where there is real value to be had as an investor? It's a challenge. Uh, to be honest, this is quite a challenge because like you said, in the EV space, there's tons of companies uh, trying to to go after the same, uh, trying to solve the same problem. Um, but I think what we're trying to, uh, and also uh, from a VC standpoint, if you're too early, you're wrong. So you need to pick your values, and you cannot invest like way early because then the company is going to die before they get to the market. Mm -hmm. or there's a good product market fit. So it's, it's a fine balance. Um, I think we're trying to look for uh, novel solutions and, and experienced teams that, that know how to navigate the ecosystem. And it, it's something that we're seeing uh, these days. Uh, automotive is getting intertwined with energy, with, with utilities, with mining, and with different industries. And the whole value chain is, is shifting completely from where it used to be 10, 20 years ago. And that's something that auto OEMs are realizing or have been realizing in the last couple of years, but now they need to work with other industries. So we're, we're looking at companies that could be able to tie these different dots and make a solution that works for everyone. So at the end of the day, the, the, the big question for us is, how is the pie gonna be split in the EV charging space, for instance? Mm -hmm. Who's gonna take which part of the profit from having people 
selling energy back to the grid. Are the OEMs going to allow that? Are they going to say, okay, I'll still give you a warranty on your battery, even if you're charging and discharging to provide energy back to the grid? Is the utility going to say, well, I'm the one that needs to have this piece of the pie because I'm providing the energy service? Uh, where is the EV driver? Is the driver going to be able to opt in or opt out to having his car or her car being charged and discharged at any time without even noticing? So that's the kind of questions that we're asking ourselves, like how is this going to play out? We don't have an answer just yet, uh, but we do feel that in this space, there is a big opportunity in the energy trading um, market. In, in Europe, there's already some uh, markets that are regulated where uh, you could sell uh, energy back to the grid, and there's a, a full market developed to, to trade on, on this. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, what uh, Def Power is trying to do. So the value proposition is that you can charge your car for free. So it's a... Uh, how did they call the, the tagline was uh, free charging for life. So if you have a, if you own an EV, an electric vehicle, and you have this uh, smart charging a vehicle to grid capability, you can make money out of your vehicle and have to pay for charging for the whole year. So it's basically uh, a free, uh, a free service for you. And and that's where we're, I mean, it might be early still, uh, there's little bidirectional chargers there out there, but there's, it comes in phases. First, it's having the smart charging capability, knowing when to charge, when not to charge, if you can take advantage of solar or other renewable resources, and then taking a step further and sending energy back to uh, to, to the energy markets in, mm-hmm. in, in Europe or in the different markets where you're operating. And that's why we decided to, to place that, that bet in, in a specific area. One of the... Uh... One of the interesting things, so, so you mentioned in the EV space, you know, software as being a, a key area. Um, do you have, how, how do you think about the, the software hardware kind of um, interaction or what when you're looking at investments? Do you have any type of a firm thesis of where we're going after hardware or software companies, or is that kind of a, a relevant piece? And I, I think, or not not irrelevant, but that's not kind of a filter that you're using necessarily, but just, just a factor. And it's particularly interesting to me with someone like Preza, right, of, you have Metalsa in the background, hardware expertise. You've part of that core value proposition is, and but there, there's so all these alluring aspects of software and the ability to scale with, with yeah, and all, all these types of things. So how, how do you guys think about this trade-off? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think there's two big trade-offs that we think about as we are investing in this space. One is the relationship between hardware and software, and the other one is the relationship with regulators. So what we've seen from other uh, investors is that they're scared of investing in hardware. And and we've noticed that we have placed bets in in hardware and and it's hard to find the right investors to be willing to to invest in in hardware startups. There are very few. So the the universe of uh, VC funds kind of uh, reduces quite a bit. And the same goes with when you have companies that are working with regulators, especially in in LATAM. Funds are afraid of that because they know that the government can come in and change the rules at any given time, and then your whole business uh, goes down. So those are two things that we've been uh, thinking about, and we think you need to learn how to live with those. Those are part of the mobility ecosystem that we live in. So we 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 have made bets where there's a so a hardware component but also with a software component on top of it where the company can have a, a recurring revenue or, or provide recurring services and not a one-off uh, sale. Um, and that's something that it's necessary and it's part of the industry that we are in. There's no mm-hmm. 
way around it. And that's at least that's the way we, we think about it. From a VC standpoint, sometimes it's hard because you need to think about the next round of financing or the next two rounds of financing that so that the company can keep on scaling. And that sometimes creates some uh, noise around the table. Like, is this company going to be able to raise more money hmm. if we don't keep supporting it? And I mean, we are minority investors. So that, that's the one thing that I would say uh, keeps us up at night is just when we invest in hardware is we really need to do a, a good job of finding, helping the company find the investors for the next round. So that's something that we do on a, on a continuous basis, just reaching out to new funds and uh, talking about our investment thesis, their investment thesis, and see if there is alignment and yeah. uh, if you can bring more funds to the table for these kind of companies. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. That makes makes a lot of sense. And maybe another, I'm asking you a bunch of these uh, kind of how you, how you decide types of questions, but I have one other one here on, you mentioned the mobility industry is kind of growing and um, dissolving into other other areas. So it's no longer automotive and commercial, but like all these other related areas, including mining, and then also even automotive and on-road driving is becoming there's so much overlap now with aviation and uh, and off-road um, vehicles recreational as well as construction and um, agricultural stuff and and uh, marine and all, all these types of things but you mentioned kind of and infrastructure energy infrastructure all, all these things are blurring together you mentioned early on like the how valuable it's been having this core mobility thesis and and focus so how, how do you think about drawing the line of hey here's how far we're going to go and play versus here's outside of our scope and outside of the area where we want to focus. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a good question. And something that we ask ourselves every other week when we see a, a new startup. Uh, I think the the basis in, uh, in which we raise the fund, like our, our mission is to make mobility safer and more sustainable, efficient and environmentally friendly. So we ask ourselves that question, is this company solving a problem that ties to our uh, our mission, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's it. Might sound too simplistic, but that's the way that we filter a few companies. Like, okay, it's far from our thesis, or it's it's a nice to cover. It's something that we are not really excited about, and that's like a, a very first uh, filter. But now that you mention Actec, and given that RLP is also involved in the agro-industrial space, we've seen a few uh, autonomous tractor companies. There's a lot of drones uh, for agro-industrial, but like I said, we don't invest in anything that flies. But in terms of tractors or technologies to, to help uh, uh, you know, on the field, that's something that we have explored in the past. Um, then, like for instance, if you want to go uh, on, on the energy side, like uh, battery companies, new battery companies, that's something that we are not investing in. It's those companies, like it's more of a from a capital needs standpoint, they need more capital. And if you want to invest early, there's a huge risk to that. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that we're not able to stomach. And, and we don't have the right expertise to value a company like that in the early stages. But I think it depends on, on the specific arena that we're looking at. But at the end of the day, is how well aligned is it to our mission of making mobility safer, environmentally friendly, and sustainable? Yeah, and it, it seems like, or at least from I've, I have no experience in the VC space, but at least from a growing a business perspective, the the ability to have these clear definitions of no, we don't do X is a huge part of strategy, mm-hmm. right? And being able to focus and it's tough because you don't want to be kind of too hard headed and like it, you, you have to reevaluate those assumptions potentially over time. But the fact that you can say, no, we don't invest in things that fly. We don't invest in battery cell chemistry tech and stuff like that. Like I, I have to imagine those are 
seemingly limiting, but actually kind of freeing thoughts to then you can focus on the things that actually matter and fit what you want to do. Exactly. It makes the decision process way easier and you don't have to ask the same questions again and again. And you can focus on what you're really interested in. So, yeah. So we decided also like not to invest in cybersecurity, not to invest in scooter operators, not to invest in uh, B2C brands uh, in micromobility. So we have, as we have evolved our thesis, we have this bucket of no's that make our lives easier as we're looking uh, at more companies every year. How about so one, one of the things I, I really enjoy is talking with guests like yourself who are you know doing incredible things and have, have great experience and kind of thinking about okay how how have how have you learned over time and how have you got what have what have you learned over time too so maybe one of the things that's uh, maybe to start is there anything I know you're talking to an entrepreneur a founder or someone who's in this industry anything that you tend to recommend as a resource a book um author whoever who's has you know has had a big impact on you or you think might be able to help someone who's kind of getting into this industry uh that's a good one i think uh it that that recommendation might vary year by year depending on what i'm reading and what i'm interested yeah. in uh, i mean you have the usual books uh for uh starting a startup like lean, lean startup zero to one uh uh, bleed scaling and, and a few others of those that, that I've read uh, at the time. Uh, sometimes I, I even recommend uh, entrepreneurs to read VC um, uh, books like uh, Venture Deals from, from Bradfield so that they know the term sheet a little bit better and are able to mm -hmm. negotiate the terms better. Uh, this last year and, and this year I've been focusing more on uh, like personal stuff, uh, more like philosophy. And so I always read about, uh, for instance, there's a book called uh, Drive. Um, I have mm -hmm. it right here by Daniel Pink, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Grit by Angela Dogworth. Uh, Relentless by Tim Grover, which are just examples of how people push through obstacles and, and have the, the capability and, and the tenacity to keep going and keep, keep pushing and following their, their dreams. Um, and the last few that I read are by Ryan Holiday. Um, huh. He's he's a stoic, uh, in all the way, uh, in all the sense of the word. I read his trilogy, like the obstacle is the way, the stillness is the key, and ego is an enemy. And I would yeah. totally recommend those three to any uh, to any founder. Uh, those are great examples as to uh, yeah how to live life and, and pursue your, your dreams at the same time and, and keep a uh, a humble attitude, and uh, but at the same time keep the, the ambition uh, going. I mean, those three have helped me quite a bit to go over the the pandemic and the difficult times that we all went through in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the uh, that, that's that's it's funny. The I think you're the first guest to to mention Ryan Holiday, but he's uh he, he's at I mean he's a daily stoic marker that I have, and yeah. uh, I went last time or the the first time I went to. Austin for a conference last year. I took the the hour Uber drive to his bookstore in in Bastrop in the middle of nowhere, and yeah, his his books have had a, a huge impact on me and sent me down a, a rabbit hole of reading Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and and uh, yeah, it's yeah. Last year I read Meditations uh, on my way to Israel to a commotion, uh, so it was it was very good to, to read that book and then experience the whole uh, holy holy land there. It was amazing. And I also bought the two books for my kids. Uh, he, he wrote a couple of books yeah. uh, of Epictetus and the one of Marcus Aurelius. And I, I read them to, to my son and my daughter. 
uh, and that they like the story. I mean, the, the names are hard to, <laughs> to understand, but yeah. that they like the story behind it. And I also, when we went to move, I think we, we met there, uh, yeah. or we said hi to each other in person. I went to Bastrop to his, uh, to his bookstore. Unfortunately, he wasn't there at the time. I wanted to have a book uh, signed by him. Uh, but yeah, it's been a great inspiration uh, these last couple of years. Yeah, and how, and maybe that, uh, that maybe that's an interesting transition. So like, but yeah, pers- personally, I, I, I tend to enjoy the f- philosophical piece and then, but, but even beyond that, I feel like that, so my, my day job, right, is, is helping to lead a manufacturing company and um, trying to face some of these, some of these questions of how do you build and grow and like the, the ability to think rationally and maintain an, a focus and emphasis on what I can control, what we can control and, and uh, kind of maintain a, a, the correct mindset is, is huge going into that. And in, in addition to obviously all the tactical stuff of how you actually build a business, how do you ex- execute on stuff? What, how do you think about, you know, talking to, I guess, evaluating founders, but also giving advice to founders who are in these early stages? Like, what, what, what do you tend to say, or what, what type of advice do you tend to to have for people who are going through this, uh, from a tactical perspective, or even from a philosophical perspective? Yeah, I think, I mean, just reading at, uh, the main reasons why startups fail. Uh, I think the number one is that they're in great amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that happens because sometimes they chase too many things. When they're starting out, there's so many opportunities and potential customers or customers pull them in different directions. So that's something that I really focus on. And, and we we always tell the startups it's never too early to have a board. I mean, you just have to adapt the size of the board and the complexity of it to the stage of the company. So you're going to have a seven-person board if you're a pre-seed or seed company. So you, you evolve that, but it always helps to have a board in place to help you guide those conversations and that strategy early on. Uh, and for me, the main point is focus. So focus on, on the problem that you're solving, focus on having the, your first few customers happy and, and understanding the the pain points that you're solving, if it's uh, if the value proposition is really panning out the way you intended to, uh, that's that's key. And for me, another point that I always tell them is focus on three things. As the CEO, as the founder, there's three main things that you need to do, and, and it's oversimplified, obviously. But it's one is setting the strategy for, for the firm and and being able to communicate the vision. Uh, then having a company that is uh, well capitalized, so having the, the right fundraising uh, capabilities and skills. Mm-hmm. And the third is having the right team in, in place to execute on, on the idea. So it's obviously oversimplified, but those are the, like, the three main things that the CEO needs to think about uh, as they're building or scaling the company. Uh, they need to dedicate a lot of time to recruiting, uh, to bringing people on board that are able to execute on their vision, talking to VCs and uh, potential investors into their company and selling that dream that, that they have. And, and setting the strategy for them to execute in a very well-disciplined way so that they don't lose focus and start going in different directions. And that's why they run out of money. Uh, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. there's other other ways because there's no product market fit or, or something else happens. But that's one of the main reasons that I've seen is that they, they choke on too many opportunities that they're chasing after. They open many, too many doors, and then they get lost in, in that, and, and they don't have like the right milestones to show for for the next round of financing. And that's that's something that they struggle with quite quite a bit. Do you have any type of strong inclination towards either technically or commercially inclined founding teams or or, 
or something like how important is it that at least one person in that founding team has a really good grasp on how they actually sell this thing and, and make money? Oh, that's, a, that's a difficult question because I think we have a, a little bit of both kind of founders, I think. And, and there's different uh, opinions on this. We usually don't invest in solo founders, although there are good examples of people that have founded companies by themselves. So we always look at how the founder surrounds herself with other people. If it's a technical founder, which we have a few in our portfolio, they need to have people that are more commercially savvy and have those skills to complement each other. Otherwise, we've seen founders in our portfolio and outside of portfolio that are technically driven and they don't want to ship a product until it's 100% perfect. Yeah. And that kills them. Uh, they, they they struggle, they, they get frustrated with it. They don't want to ship something that is not 100% perfect. But at the same time, you're delaying uh, the market reaction and, and see if you're really working on something that, that adds value to, to customers. So that, that's a fine balance. And, and then people that are too commercially uh, focused, they need the technical team around them to, to build uh, the, the product with software or hardware. Yeah. Probably we feel more comfortable with the with this uh, latter than, than the former. I mean, depending also on the specific sub-vertical within mobility, if it's autonomous vehicles, you, you, you need a technical founding team. If it's something more like a enterprise SaaS, marketplace, et cetera, then it, it, it can change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well. Rodolfo, we really appreciate the time. This has been a lot of fun. We covered uh, a lot of a lot of ground here, and uh, yeah, great great learning from you on on many different topics here. Um, so I want want to give kind of the give you the floor here as as we're wrapping up. Any is there anything we we missed here that you were hoping to cover, or kind of in otherwise anything that you're hoping someone listening to this takes away from the conversation? Um, probably would just say that I mean. Uh, Mobility was hit pretty hard uh, last year. Uh, we come from a record-setting year in 2021 where there was like 95 billion poured into the space with over 1,700 deals. Last year, as of Q3, was like 30 billion in 800 deals only. And all the companies that went public uh, that created all this, uh, I think almost 300 billion in exit value, most of them through IPO or SPAC, they got hit pretty hard. They lost 90% of value, 60% of value, uh, the ones that did best. So it could be uh, easy to think that it's all uh, doom and gloom and uh, the multi-space is going to go through a very hard uh, time. But I actually think there's a big opportunity still in this space. We see it in electric vehicles, in autonomous vehicles. Even if you just read the headings, it's very negative right now. Uh, but we see a lot of opportunities within the AV space, the deployments of uh, commercial vehicles, especially, uh, and micromobility, as we were saying, micromobility and mini mobility. So for founders and uh, investors alike, I would say uh, 2023 is going to be a good year for mobility. Maybe there's not going to be a lot of investment, but there's a lot of opportunity to go after uh, commercially or to start a new businesses that are thinking about uh, a different way to reshape the mobility space. Uh, so we, we keep a very uh, optimistic view. Obviously, we are in it, we're biased. Uh, but last year shouldn't be um, the, the measuring, the right measuring stick uh, for, for the industry. And we think there's a lot of momentum going on in the space and it's going to continue. And you probably saw that firsthand at CES. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and we are very, very optimistic on, on the potential of, of the mobility industry. Yeah, I think that's a it's a good optimistic uh, tone to end this on. The hype cycles come and go, but uh, there's 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 more to it than that. So, 
yeah, Rodolfo, really appreciate it. Thanks again for the time and uh, best of luck to you. Thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, good luck and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rodolfo Diak. So what stands out? For, for one, I think this uh, this topic's shared interest in philosophy is, is really interesting to me. So it's a common theme that I, I seem to hear where, especially early on, when someone's exploring a new space, when they're getting their feet under them for a career, it's really tactical type stuff that people tend to, to read and get the most value out of, right? It's business books, it's tactical stuff about how to execute in a certain field, maybe technical things. And, and that doesn't necessarily stop. Like I think most, I'm certainly still exploring that. I think Rodolfo as well to an extent, but I think the, it seems that it's more common than not that the balance or the uh, the ratio tends to, to change over time where there's less of that tactical stuff that's being explored and more deeper truths, deeper timeless truth, philosophy as an example, the way people have thought through the centuries about how to live a good, meaningful life, what it means to be human and to contribute and all of these things. And I that's certainly something that's been true for me. I've heard it from a few different podcast guests, and it was fun to be able to explore that pretty specifically here with Rodolfo. So I really enjoyed that. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Holiday's writing and then also the trail that it led me down to Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus and then Plato and the Bible and other places where I've gotten a ton of value that have helped shape how I think about my life and also my work. So I highly recommend if you haven't gone down that rabbit hole to check it out. Um, besides that, Really cool to hear how Rodolfo is shaping Pratt's adventure intentionally and them understanding, you know, despite being part of this dynamic, large group of Pratt's, they want to be pretty targeted in where they want to play, how they want to play, where they add value and where they don't add value. And I think that's such an important, maybe I even touched it on an, in this conversation, but I've, I've heard, you know, strategy is a definition of the things you will not do. And that's such a huge piece to define competitive advantage and also just a clear direction for organizations. So really enjoyed this conversation with Rodolfo. Um, Definitely interesting watching what Prod's Avengers is doing. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you listening. As always, more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of ten to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.